Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 367, recorded June 5th, 2022. So just two issues for us today, issues three and four of Star Trek Mirror War. Right. Yeah, so uh, this continues. I I think this is one of my, so far, this is one of my uh, more uh, favorite uh, Mirror uh, Next Gen mini-stories. I'm really liking this. Yeah, I mean, I like it too. Mind you, I like them all, but I'm liking this one. Yeah, I really like those first ones, the you know the ones that they did with uh, J.K. Woodward, but uh, but these are good too. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I don't know, just visually and stuff, those just stood out more to me than mm-hmm. than these are, but but I'm still liking them. Okay, okay, well, um, I think the art artist work is really good, uh, but you know it's hard to. Uh... It's hard to top the J.K. Woodward uh, color by numbers look. <laughs> well, we get it on the cover, so it's nice. We do all the covers. He does all the primary covers. So, yeah, no, I'm not knocking the art at all. I'm just saying the art is very comic booky, where the J.K. Woodward's just kind of made it a little different. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Do you think it's okay? So I can kind of see to some degree a little bit of comic bookiness, but really, I think it looks pretty realistic. In a lot of ways. As far as comic books look, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah, no, I mean, like I said, not knocking it at all. Okay. Cool. Okay, so, uh, yeah, so these are like the middle issues. And uh, they continue on their big score building a, uh, a new fleet of ships. Right. Yeah, and, and the cool thing is, is that because there are a few issues, uh, we get to do a, you know, we did last episode was Mirror War, and this this episode's Mirror War, and I think next episode's going to be Mirror War. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's kind of cool that we're getting, getting it kind of, getting back into it, back into the story instead of doing those two issues way back when. Yeah. And then doing the novels, and then doing the catch up, and now getting back into it again. Yeah, because we did the first Mirror War ones a long time ago. Right. Right. Uh, right. Okay. All right. You ready to get started? I am ready to rock and roll. Okay, so I'm doing the first one. It's issue number three. Uh, I didn't see any titles, so I I think they tend to not have issue titles. January 2022 is the published date. Writers, actually a lot of people are pretty consistent in these, but Scott and David Tipton are the writers. Uh, Gavin Smith is the artist. Colorist, Charlie Kirchhoff. Letterer Neil Yataki, editor Heather Antos. We got three covers. Cover A features a one-eyed and braid, braided beard Riker dominating the left half of the cover. In the middle is a Klingon space station, or a space station. It actually, no, it's not a Klingon space station. It actually turns out to be a Cardassian one, but anyway, it's a space station. And... Um, we see a human officer being forcibly carried by uh, two Klingons, 
to some place that that human really does not want to go. Um, the Enterprise D and Data are on the rightmost part of the cover, looking normal. Geordi, on the other hand, looks all hawk-like in the lower right corner, on the move and firing two Klingon disruptors, one in each hand, uh, and at an unseen and very dead enemy. Uh, and they, that covers by J.K. Woodward. And of course, you know my my Hawk reference is, of course, to... I was wondering what that was. Yes, is, of course, to Avery Brooks's famous character prior to becoming Benjamin Sisko when he was Hawk in both the Vegas TV series and his own... Well, actually, Spencer for Hire uh, huh. TV series and uh, the very short-lived A Man Named Hawk TV series. Never heard of those. Well, this is yeah. <laughs> what I mean, and I say that just because Jordy's uh, Jordy, bald, and he's got the the visor there that almost looks like cool sunglasses. And uh, Avery Brooks was had a shaved head and usually wore black sunglasses most of the time. He used to wear leather and stuff, and he was the tough guy, um, a very tough character. Anyway, it just. Jordy's look reminds me a little bit of, uh, of, of that Avery Brooks character. Moving on. Cover B presents Jordy and O'Brien's head and shoulders in an L-Cars sort of circular set of colored irregular regular rec- uh, rectangles that together form kind of a circular thing. And that cover is by Amanda Madriaga. The retailer incentive cover shows O'Brien looking dour, and standing in front of another officer in, um, in, what, in what appears to be possibly a red and black tunic. It's kind of hard to tell because it's kind of dark. And the Enterprise is in the upper right-hand corner, warping out. In preparation for their long journey to starship-building planet Fundori, the Enterprise makes a stop at a gas mining facility on Kyrie. Picard dispatches Geordi and Riker to the planet's surface, where they meet with three representatives of the gas miners. The largest is a very big Tellarite. The next largest is a human-looking woman with a bad haircut. And the last is a reptilian sort of alien with huge eyes. They sit around a table to start the negotiation, and Geordi tells them they want tri-nitrogen chloride, neurocene, chloraxine, niocene, all pure and unreplicated. The miners are surprised, and two of them pull a gun and knife, saying the bounty on the two imperial officers is worth enough profit for them. The human-looking woman objects and tells her business partners to wait. Riker and Geordi spring into action, shooting the lizard man and punching one of the tusks off the Tellarite. The 30, a 30-strong 30 crowd of biker-looking miners immediately descend on Riker and Geordi, who run for their lives while commenting on what terrible businessmen these miners are. Riker and Geordi run into a building, but before the crowd of miners enter and overwhelm them, Riker gets the idea to shoot a containment tank that Geordi confirms should be very flammable. They are somehow able to exit the building without getting caught by the crowd and exit the facility 
at, and almost to their shuttle, and just ahead of a huge fireball originating from that tank that Riker shot. When they return to the ship empty-handed, Picard is not happy. Geordi explains how the miners were ready to kidnap and ransom them. Riker explains how there is now a Klingon bounty on their heads. From the edge of the Kyrie system, they watch the planet explode. Uh, when Riker does fireworks, he goes big. Regent Worf, aboard his flagship, receives the report that Kyrie has been destroyed and the Enterprise was sighted in the area. He bellows, Find them! Back on the Enterprise, Picard states they can work around not having the Kyrie supplies, but they have multiple large challenges in front of them. First, by the likely multiple sightings of them deep in Klingon space, their enemies might be able to plot their course and determine they're heading for Fundori, which would ruin their plans. Riker's explosion of Kyrie likely painted a large target on the Enterprise. Their heading will take them too close to the Cardassian listening post, Nope Trem. That, in all likelihood, will detect them unless they are extremely careful. The ship's cloak, and, and lastly, the ship's cloak was never meant for battle, and the holes along the ship's belly cannot be repaired with the parts on hand. If someone looks hard enough for them, they will be seen. They come up with a plan to get around the listening post problem without giving away their position by A. Sending in a stealth strike team aboard a shuttle to board the station. Sabotage it to temporarily go dark while Enterprise gets past them. Geordi huddles with Barkley, Data, O'Brien, and Dr. Brahms in engineering. Geordi presents the plan whose focal point is getting data prepared, then plugging into the Cardassian listening post systems to hack in and temporarily disable it. Brahms complains to Geordi about her role in the plan, and Geordi caves to her demands. She is going. Wesley joins Riker and Barkley for a drink in 10 Forward, where Riker and Barkley say they prefer a straight fight to all this sneaking around. Wesley says some sneaking around now significantly increases their chances of success. Troy meets with Barkley and Data to get them over their animosity towards each other. All members of the upcoming mission must perform at their peak. They start to make progress when Data admits he felt personally abandoned when Reg left. Reg was his only true friend. Troy and Barkley... Try to get Data to buy into the whole motivated self-interest thing, which is the cornerstone of the Empire's strength. Reg offers his hand to Data to make amends, which Data rejects, but says he has much to ponder. Later, they approach the listening post, fast, and then drop it near warp speed. Then they transport over, skipping the shuttle, and then the Enterprise kicks the uh, speed back up to full warp. The strike team succeed in temporarily disabling the listening post and climb their way up to the beam-out point. When Dr. Brahms turns, rips O'Brien's comm badge off his chest and pushes him down the access opening in the floor that they just came through. 
only four being back to the Enterprise, where Dr. Brahms gives the performance of a lifetime by crying and saying, something happened to O'Brien, but she does not know what. Meanwhile, back at the listening post, four Cardassians find O'Brien still alive, so they take him prisoner. Later, O'Brien is taken to Terek Nor, where he begins his life as a slave on that ore processing center. Ha-ha! Later, back on the Enterprise, Picard is drinking a big mug of tan liquid, likely not Earl Grey, when he is told they lost O'Brien. But the mission was a success. Dr. Crusher is at the door, and Picard tells her to enter. She asks him if he wants to talk about what he did to Okona. Picard says no. Crusher says Okona always had Picard's best interests at heart. She says the note he left was just his way of trying to get your attention, Jean-Luc. Picard closes the discussion by saying everything comes at a cost. Okona was in Picard's way, so he was removed. Anything that interferes with Picard's plans to build a new Terran fleet at Fundori will be removed with extreme prejudice. Dismissed. To be continued. He sang it like that? That was weird. Well, he is Colonel Flank at times. <laughs> what is that from? Hogan's Heroes. Oh, okay. The inept... Uh, Commandant of Stalag 13? Yeah, 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 I know him. When he used to tell Schultz to leave? And he sang? He said, Dismissed! <laughs> that's, what he, that's what he was saying. Yeah, that's funny. A very accurate depiction of uh, Nazis. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, yes, of course. Anyway, what do you Anyways. think? Ah, I really like that O'Brien finally made it to Deep Space Nine. <laughs> and becomes a slave. I love that. I mean, I hate that he has to be a slave, well, but yeah, at least sure. they're fitting in the DS9 continuity. Exactly. So, uh, uh, Through the Looking Glass, was that the DS9 episode? Uh, right, the first one. Right, where we find out about, at some point, about his stat- his former status as a slave. Right. Well, I think he was a slave still. At the, at oh, was time. he still a slave at that point? Yeah. Okay. And then he, he got free. Okay. And ran off with Cisco. And then the next episode, Cisco's dead. And uh, he brings back uh, the other O'Brien to, to create the, the Defiant. Okay. So when we see. When we see Cisco again in the next issue, mm-hmm. I. I I look forward to you explaining his status because sure. I'm 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 a little off on it, understanding it fully. Okay. okay. Um, so I, anyway, I, started, I thought it was a really you... nice drawing of of uh, Deep Space Nine. Terrible. Oh yeah, 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 it's really nice. Yeah. Hey, before we get started, um, you just did this. You edited the episode of Mirror War One and Zero and One. Okay. Uh, remind me what happened to Okona because I I just remember they killed him right or I, left well, him there without without in an empty bunker. Or something? Yes. So they they insinuated he wouldn't need a ship anymore. So they were insinuating that they killed him, but they okay. didn't actually show it. 
So okay. I assume he's dead, but I don't know that 100% for sure. Okay. All right. Yeah, it's been a while since we read those. So when yeah. when Beverly was saying that, I was like, I don't remember them actually killing him. I just remember them, like, taking all his stuff. Right. In, I guess, including a ship or blowing it up or something. Right. Okay. So they might have exiled him, basically. But he probably would have died eventually. Right. I mean, that, that was kind of... His stash was kind of in a remote location, wasn't it? Yeah, it was on a on a weird planet, if I remember right. Yeah. And then Picard took the stash to the jellyfish or something. <laughs> Hit it inside exactly. of it or something. Hit like it that. in the, the jellyfish. space jellyfish. The space jellyfish, exactly. Yeah. All right. So okay. So so what is that deal? So let, let's talk about that. So what is that deal with Okona? Apparently, he has more of a relationship with Picard than than we knew. Right. Yeah, I mean, we knew that he was like a, a partner of Picard's at some point and knew some of his tricks. Yeah. But uh, but maybe there's more to it. Maybe he's like a protege or something. It, it almost seems like a, like a son kind of thing, almost. Yeah. He always had Picard's best interest at heart. Um, he was just trying to get your attention with the note. It's like, that almost sounds like, a, you know, a son trying to get his absent dad to pay attention to him. That's yeah. weird. Yeah. At least they refrain from calling him obnoxious in this one. <laughs> Which was funny in the last issue when he right. signed signed his letters, the obnoxious Akona. <laughs> instead of the outrageous Akona. Right. From the actual episode. The prime Akona is outrageous. So in these books, there are multiple things being hinted at that I want to know about. Uh, and this is the first one. I mean, are they going to bring Akona back? I mean, does is, is, this, is this the last time we hear about Akona? And if it is, I'm kind of pissed. Right, yeah. It, seems, um, it yeah. seems superfluous. Or are they just giving us more backstory? That right. all it is is backstory, doesn't really go anywhere, but you find out, yeah, they had more of a relationship than you, than you got from the uh, previous issues. Right. Yeah, and the other big thread that keeps going... I mean, we had the other one where Picard was attacked by an assassin in yes. issue zero, and we've never heard of it again. Mm-hmm. You know, so this is like the third, fourth issue of the series, really, and we're like, when's that ever coming back up? Um, and then now, Leah Brahms is acting all weird, killing, or trying to kill O'Brien. Uh, so w- what's her deal? Exactly. And I, I look forward to investigating that more in the next issue. Yeah. Your issue. And I did like, I do like the, the Data Barclay subplot. I did not like it at first, but now I'm like really digging it that, that you know, because Data is, maybe he's even more emotional in this one, more human here than he is in the Prime Universe. Right. And basically his feelings have been hurt. His only friend abandoned him and he didn't know how to process it. I, I like it. And then I like how they're working together here and Data saves his life. Uh by punching him in the face, but still <laughs> saved him. <laughs> he saved him. Okay, and and that whole thing with Troy, that counseling right. session between the three of them. I completely agree with the revelations were cool. The idea that Data would, would take that so personally uh, is cool. But also, both of them, Barkley and Troy, are driving home to Data the cornerstone of the empire, which is uh, self-interest. So instead of everybody working together towards a common 
common goal in a selfless way. It's just the opposite. Um, everybody's out for themselves and, and, and they're trying to get data 100% on board with all that. And, uh, and Barkley even says, hey, something you did in the past just seems completely like, like great self-interest. Great job. And then Troy is like, she's like smiling and like, she's bought the Kool-Aid. Uh, you know, self-interest is the way to go. And you should, you should, you, you should embrace that data. Well, as I've said before, data, if data really embraced self-interest, he would not be as loyal to everybody as he is. And he's got amazing capabilities. Right. And as we're going to see in the next issue, if he stopped being, I don't know, I think they're playing with fire. <laughs> Trying to get, shove this whole idea, self-interest idea down Data's throat. Right. He could really take over a lot of stuff if he really, if he wanted, if to. He really wanted to. He could at least take over the Enterprise and maybe more. Anyway. Right. And, and I did like, speaking of that scene, I really liked how, you know, they don't need a counselor in the mirror universe because everybody's evil and nobody cares <laughs> about your feelings. <laughs> so Enforcer, uh, Enforcer Troy exactly even mentions that this is stupid, you know, to have to talk about your feelings. But she's able to they they're able to write it in such a way that she still does it. But also kind of needling them in that uh, they shouldn't have to have this conversation. I loved it. I thought exactly. it was great. <laughs> and she also brings up the idea that how I often handle this is with the agony booth. So that's kind of funny. Right. Yeah. No, I, I really – the writing on here is, is top notch. I, I agree. In that they're not just mustache twirling evil, you know. Right. So yeah, I really like that she's still Troy, but – just a little different. Just a little crueler. Uh, more, yeah, so again, the, mirror, the whole mirror idea. Just the opposite of our normal Troy. Right. But in a believable way, instead yes. of just, I have a beard, so I'm there bad. Ah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, the whole basis of this Terran Empire is self-interest, which is completely the opposite of the Federation and Starfleet. So, yeah, this is, this is normal. This, of course... This is the way we do it. Yeah, it's something. One last thing about that little scene, though, I want to mention is you, you see one panel where Barkley and Data are sitting next to each other and their arms are folded and they're not talking to each other and body language is like, eh. And then, and then they both talk about how much they hate each other and how this is stupid. And then Troy says, shut up and sit down, the both of you. And it's like, Okay, they were sitting down. And then the next panel's showing them they're still sitting down. <laughs> so when did they stand up? And I, I, that just struck me as funny. Yeah, they're all standing up at the end, but yeah, you're right. Uh, that is weird. <laughs> it's, it's like if this was a Mel Brooks movie, you know, Data, would, Data and Barkley would be looking at each other sitting down like, well, we are sitting down. And anyway, <laughs> it just struck, struck me as funny. I'm getting a lot of humor out of these two books, by the way. <laughs> All right, so uh, you mentioned Mel Brooks, so I'm going to mention my off-tangent off uh, thought. Okay. Um, when they blow up the planet with yes. the gas. Yes. For whatever reason, I can see Tommy Lee Jones as 
Two-Face in Batman Forever when he blows up uh, a tank full of gas and he's like laughing and he's like, ah, nothing worse than a bad case of gas. Ah. <laughs> so, so when I was reading it, for whatever reason, that kept sticking in my head. Oh, okay. Just that voice. and But yeah, it's ridiculous that you can blow up a whole planet just by blowing up one refinery. Right. It, okay, so just so I got this clear. So they, they, they made a point of them being stationed at the edge of the system. So they did just blow up a planet, right? Yeah. They're not saying that the star was taken out too or something. It's just the planet, right? Just the planet, yeah. Okay. Okay. It, which is hard enough to take or to, to accept, but okay. Well, wasn't there a uh, – didn't we watch a Star Trek or something where they um, the whole planet was burned up? Uh, I watched something well, recently where that happened where – well, the oh, planets... it, was a, it was an episode of Enterprise. Okay. There was an episode of Enterprise where the, a shuttle was coming down to, to meet some miners, and uh, there was a spark or something, and the whole planet ignited uh, and just killed everybody on, on the whole planet. Wow. And come to find out, it was a cloaked uh, little device that the, the Suleban stuck onto the ship. So it wasn't oh. anybody's fault, but they did it to blame the Federation or, or Starfleet. Right. Uh, but anyways, I, I just recently watched that episode, so it was kind of stuck in my head. Yeah. Well, that didn't come to mind because I haven't... It's been a long time since I've watched Enterprise. But definitely the Klingon moon uh, when it blew up. Praxis. Yeah. So right. that, that's, that's an example. But that wasn't completely blown up. But that was due to mining, right? Over mining? Yeah, right. Um, and then, of course, you know, uh, in Picard, the moon, or not, the Mars, the, the atmosphere is all messed up. When the, uh, uh, when the shipyards were blown up. By the androids. Exactly. So, anyway, so I guess there's examples, but yeah, the whole planet blowing up is kind of interesting. And, and, and again, pure gold. Riker is so funny <laughs> in these books. So, uh, so in the ready room where Picard is listing all the problems that they've, they're going, and he like turns the uh, blade in the side of, of Riker, saying, making matters worse, Commander Riker's explosion back on Kyrie has surely painted a fresh target on the Enterprise. And then, you, and then right across from him, you see uh, Riker's look on his face. He's like, oh, God, I hate when it happens. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I just found that very funny. And that's not right. the only place where, where Riker ends up being uh, the conduit through which humor springs. Right. Yeah, it's hard to take him serious with the, that beard. <laughs> it's a brand I've, beard. I, He's I've got never had a beard long enough to braid, but man, it looks like it would be a lot of work. It does look like a lot of work, but a lot of love went into those braids, I think. But uh, speaking of weird or funny, um, I am not digging Wesley's hair. Oh, yeah, porcupine look. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, not a fan. No, no, but it's 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 really spiky. Porcupine. Right. That's that. That's really good. Yeah, you're right about yeah. that. Point five. Yeah, and when they when he's far away and they just draw it as a big blob of spikes coming out of his head, it mm-hmm. just like, ah, oh, that looks weird. 
<laughs> looks like he just stuck his finger in an electric socket. <laughs> and the electricity is still flowing. Right. But uh, but speaking of that, what is he drinking when he's on Tin Forward? It, well, it looks like a pina colada to me. Inside of a pineapple? <laughs> Right, so there's that scene, which I just briefly allude to, but yeah, Wesley walks up to uh, Riker and Barkley, and he's got a pineapple glass <laughs> with a straw. <laughs> I've never seen that on 10 Forward. But neither have I. And by the way, do they call it 10 Forward? forward? Yeah, I don't know, because Guy okay. not the bartender. Because when I wrote down 10 Forward, it was like, okay, do they, do they call it 10 Forward? I mean, obviously it is 10 Forward, same idea. Sure. Do they call it that? Or they call it something typically I haven't heard them. space I haven't. pirate-like. <laughs> yeah, the, the galley. Exactly. Yeah, something, uh, yeah, right. I don't know. Okay. But uh, but I, I'm just saying, you got all these like shirtless, giant arms, manly men, mm-hmm. and then here comes a guy sipping a, a drink out of a pineapple. Just <laughs> a little, little, little off. Exactly. <laughs> right. So... So Picard in his ready room is drinking a big, huge mug, a clear mug of beer, right? Beer? That's that's the way I took it. That's what I took it. Okay. And then while I'm reading this conversation, I keep thinking, I wonder if it's warm beer because he likes his <laughs> his drinks warm, and well, I guess it's just the opposite. And they like they like the warm beers too. Okay, but if it's just the opposite, it must be cold brew instead of hot Earl Grey. Oh yeah, you're right. It's the mirror universe. Maybe. But yeah, no, it reminded me of, you know, Thor or somebody drinking a giant <laughs> whole pint or a whole pitcher of beer. Right. And then yeah, it's funny. Doctor Strange refilling it. That was Doctor Strange that refilled it, right? Uh, yeah, right. In one of the post-credit things. Okay. Uh, so, any other, anything else? I just have a question, uh, and it's back to Leah Brahms. Why mm-hmm. did she take the communicator? Well, so he couldn't be beamed back. Oh, okay. So then she just dropped it somewhere else? Cause she I think crushed she... it. Did she crush it with her heel? Oh, yeah, there it is. There it is. Yeah, okay. So I guess I thought that was him falling, but I guess you're right. That could be her crushing it. Yeah, because if, I mean, if it was still on him, it's possible he could have been transported up, and she wanted him out of the picture. Right. Now, we assume it was just Patty... Like, you know, Smiley keeps on getting these jobs over me. So you, so I assume that's what it is. But in the next issue, we see that something more is going on with Leia. Yeah, but I still don't know what it is. I don't know either, but it's bigger than just... I mean, maybe it is just petty about O'Brien, but it seems like she's doing something bigger. And it seems at this point that Geordi is as much in the dark as everybody else about what she did. Right. She lied to everybody, and and there's no reason Jordy should know about it, necessarily, but... Yep. Well, it will, I'll we'll just see. stop there. But I don't think you're going to get any answers in the next one. No, but we have more clues. Sure. All right, well then let's get into it, shall we? Okay, let's do it. All right, so issue four came out of February of 2020. Um... Same writing and art staff as the one before, so I won't go through it again. Uh, the first cover is by J.K. Woodward. Um, it shows uh, Kira Norris in her um, 
I would they call it superintendent um, outfit with the little headband. And then to her right, we see the bridge of Cisco's pirate ship with Cisco and uh, Ensign Rowe. And then in the top right-hand corner, Deep Space Nine, which in, I guess in this universe is Terok Nor. And then in the bottom right-hand corner, we see uh, right. Um, I almost said right here. We see Picard holding a giant phaser rifle, blasting away. And then uh, cover B is by Amanda. Madgarinda. I'm pretty sure I mispronounced that. But uh, it just shows the prime Picard in profile looking to the right of the page and then kind of a little foreground, a little bit closer to the page than than Picard is uh, Mirror Picard, but he's looking off to the left of the page. And then behind them both, we see the uh, Terran Empire logo. And then the final cover is by Mark Alvarado. And it has what I think is Kira. And then it's like her whole face. And then within the face is rings. And like the middle ring is Kira from the Mirror Universe. And then the ring, the next ring is Mirror uh, Prime Universe. The next ring is Mirror Universe. The next ring is Prime Universe. So it kind of gives this like weird like uh, dropping a pebble into the water ripples thing. But we can. But it's each little ripple is Akira from one universe or the other. It's an interesting cover. All right. So the story starts off. Very drastically, we are. We cut to San Francisco, 1973. We see Captain Jean-Luc Picard barreling down the streets in a souped-up muscle car with the license plate NCC-1701D. Suddenly, he is pursued by a red car, and the mass driver starts shooting at him. Picard tries to end the program, but the computer voice tells him that the program is locked and that all safeties are turned off. Picard has had enough, and he performs an excellent turn uh, that he makes with pretty much ease, but the pursuer is not able to make the turn quite as well, and he ends up hitting a pole and crashes into a building. Uh, And then the building starts to phase out and actually turns out to be a giant hole in the holodeck, And on the other side of the whole wall is Data and a large Vulcan cat just standing there, and they ask if the captain is okay. So later, the holodeck is finally turned off, and then that leaves only the real people inside of the room, and this means they can now see the possible dead assassin uh, who's still masked, and then they pull his mask off in old Scooby-Doo fashion, and he's revealed to be... Waylon, and they say Waylon is a historian on the ship, and now they know that he's possibly an imperial spy. So we have a little montage of things that that are going on around the ship as it's undergoing some repairs, both to the holodeck and to the ship itself. Uh, many of the crew um, find it odd that the captain was spending time and precious energy in the holodeck. Uh, those who are grumbling are Sonia Gomez and Riker, and each one's kind of complaining to separate audiences. Uh, 
Uh, also, during this little montage, we see Leah Brahms looking at a console, and it just has a list of names. And she says something like, not yet, or something like that. So, don't really know what's going on there. Uh, so, a new guy shows up in engineering named Lieutenant Leland, and he informs LaForge that he was reviewing the logs from the... Um, the last issue, and he says that uh, he thinks that Leah Brahms seems to have attacked O'Brien and left him for dead. LaForge immediately grabs the guy, slams him up against the wall, and demands that he keeps this information to himself. Later, the Enterprise is found and attacked by Worf's Klingon ship. Enterprise might be done for, since it takes lots of hits and doesn't seem to be succeeding in any of its hit shots, except Cisco shows up in his tiny little pirate ship, and he knocks out the Klingon's warp nacelle and then warps away before anybody can figure out that he was even there. Uh, so with the Klingon ship disabled, this allows the Enterprise to limp away. Uh, Data has the Enterprise perform a slingshot maneuver around a star to mask any trail that they might be leaving behind for the Klingons to track. Eventually, they make their way to Fondori, uh, which is the shipbuilding planet Barclay visited when he was on the Prime Universe. Barclay and Data beam down in the guise of businessmen wanting to buy a fleet from the Fandorians. Uh, when the leaders on the planet see that they're part of the Terran Empire, they start to protest just as shuttles from the Enterprise arrive and start blasting everything. The aliens are forced to take Data to the hive mind, which is called Groupthink. Uh, Data is able to plug in, and at first he seems like he's going to lose control to the Groupthink, but then he thinks about self-interest and things like that, so then he's able to overcome the, um, the hive mind and actually start to control it. So he's now in control of the entire planet, including its construction capabilities. And then later we see Picard sitting in an office on the planet with his feet up and waiting to inspect his newly constructed fleet. To be continued. Picard seems to have uh, everything he needs. Yep. He seems to have made his goal. Right. Yeah. Halfway through the miniseries and it's done. He's, he's won. So well, he hasn't got his uh, fleet yet, but... <laughs> Yeah, this is a significant win. And it really, again, as usual, hinges on, hinges on Data. Right, yeah. So none of this would work if Data wasn't able to plug in and take over the uh, AI, uh, the group think. Right. So I think, it, actually, that's kind of an interesting name for the AI. <laughs> Yeah, I like it. Uh, I, I like it too. Yeah, but they took a. I mean, how could how could they have known Data would be able to do that? I mean, they only know so much about this AI. I mean, they only can know only so much about this AI, and so they took. They must have been taking a calculated risk, knowing or thinking that Data would be able to take control over a groupthink as opposed to groupthink taking control of Data. Right, and it looks like it could could have gone the other way. It but appears then, to be. But then Data thought about his friend Barclay <laughs> and his own self-interest. His own self-interest, exactly. 
You put the needs of the one above the needs of the many. <laughs> yeah. Now here, even more. What I said in the last issue. Picard doesn't control groupthink. Data controls groupthink. Right. And 100%. if Data wanted to be take this whole self-interest thing to its logical conclusion, Data would take over everything. Right. Just yeah, pointing he, out. He could create android bodies or something with, the, with this data, with this information, sure. or with this capability. Right. And he doesn't necessarily have to tell Picard, you know, hey, I'm, I'm in control of everything now, including you. You know, you can go ahead and do more stuff. Like you say, creating other androids or with these facilities or something before right. he has to expose that, Captain, I'm the new captain now. You stand down or die. Right. Yeah, it's kind of bad that we, we know that this doesn't really go anywhere. I mean, because the Terrans are still not in a, in, in a great place during Deep Space Nine, so right. <clears throat> kind of get the feeling that uh, it's not going to win. Well, the funny Picard's thing... Picard's not going to win. In most of these stories, Picard loses. Evil Picard, that is. Right, right. In the end, plans are foiled. You know, he couldn't get good Picard's uh, enterprise to, to give him more firepower in his, his, his bids. And so now here's another way of him trying to do it again. And odds are it's going to fail. You are correct. Yeah, you know what? That's a good point. All of his plans have failed. I mean, except for the one where they actually turned off the, the sensor net or whatever in the last issue. But right. up until then, yeah, you're right. He, you know, he went to pillage that Cardassian ship and ended up being a trap. Yep. You know, it's just like... So he's Wiley Coyote? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Yeah, no wonder he's so confident right now. He's like, hey, hey I finally won one. <laughs> he, he is beaming. Look at that smile. Look at that winning smile. Yeah, well, with him with that beard just makes me think of a, a pirate or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess is what, what he kind of is. Can I also comment on his other look? You're going to bring up Dune again? Dune? Yeah. How he looks like Grundy from Dune. The first oh, Dune. no, no, no. No. Oh, okay. oh, no. No, he... Gurney. He's... No, Gurney. not Gurney. Um, in the beginning of this book, where I, I just found it so funny. So instead of him being Dixon Hill and doing Dixon <laughs> Hill stories on the holodeck, he is Mr. Badass, San Francisco, tough guy, cop, uh, private eye, uh, soldier of fortune. We don't know. Right, but he's driving around in what what is intended to be a, a souped-up Mustang from the '60s or maybe '70s, probably '60s. Right, and this well, is I think it as the '70s, but yeah, because that was when those kind of movies were really popular, right? Those gritty. Well, uh, okay, okay. So Bullet is obviously more so than anything. He's he's probably channeling Bullet. And in the movie Bullet, Steve McQueen drove around a 1968 or so uh, Mustang, mm-hmm. souped-up Mustang. Um, so I'm, I'm saying the car is from the 60s, but, uh, you know, yeah, maybe the actual time period is the 70s. I don't know. I don't know. But, 
But it, it seems like definitely somebody likes the movie Bullet <laughs> and thought, at least partially, we got to get this to channel Steve McQueen and, uh, and that Mustang, that awesome Mustang for the movie. Mm. Uh, which, which was not, it was not black, it was, it was green. It was green color. And, oh, right. and, and when you look at the car, parts of it are definitely Mustang, from, the, from like a 68 Mustang, but other parts of it, no. So it's in not, this, a, in not the, 100% In the comic book or in the movie? In the comic book. Okay. In the comic book, right. Yeah. So from angles, it looks like a Mustang. Other angles, no. But it's cool. He's driving around San Francisco. Um, it's been a long time since I saw the Bullet movie, but I'm, I think that took place in, in San Francisco. But, you know, you, know, you can see Coit Tower in the background. So you know it's San Francisco. It says San Francisco, 1973. Right. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, right. 1973, right. There you go. Yeah, so it is the and, 70s. yeah, and then yeah, you know that in this one they they took those hills where they like mm-hmm. jumping on on all those hills <laughs> on the streets that was so common in those right seventy shows. The streets of San Francisco that that happened frequently. <laughs> Carol Malden and Michael Douglas. Um, and I got to say again, I got to bring up Avery Brooks again because you know with the bald head, with the dark. Glasses, you know, sunglasses he's wearing, and he's, he's sitting behind a bad butt, um, you know, muscle car. I yeah. mean, that that was Hawk. That was Avery Brooks, Brooks in that in that character. Maybe in this continuity, uh, his favorite detective was Hawk. At, maybe this is it. And, yeah. and wouldn't that be funny if that's what it was? Because that would be a, a, another Star Trek tie-in. <laughs> that would be cool. So somewhere, this is somewhere between Bullet and a man named or called hawk named hawk i forgot something like that. <laughs> it only lasted like one season right the uh the assassin here though uh is uh in a get up that reminded me of like mad max or something like that road warrior uh-huh. that kind of thing right yeah so so anyway so i was really unclear on what exactly picard did i i just took it that he made that left hand turn better than the assassin and the assassin hit that uh guard post and flipped over i think you're right okay because uh you can see there there's a whole one two three four five six seven eight there's like 12 like metal concrete something bars sticking up out of the ground right meant to see people from crashing into the building plowing into the building um and who knows maybe that's is that is that the transamerica tower maybe um, but anyway, whatever it is, it works. And that, <laughs> uh, the, uh, bad guy's car is stopped dead in its tracks. Yeah. So he crashes into that building and then that building ends up being the holodeck's wall. And because the safeties were off, they bust through the wall. That seemed weird. <laughs> Isn't it? I agree. But okay. So it, it, it damages the holodeck. Somehow the holodeck damage takes the entire ship out of warp? That's a bit of a stretch. Well, they were already on um, reserves because of all the other stuff that's been going on. Yeah, he wasn't even supposed to be on the holodeck, according to Riker and Gomez and everybody else. Exactly. Exactly. I keep wondering, is that going to go anywhere? Because they spent a lot of time of people thinking about it or complaining about it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but to your point, why is Data there? I mean, it just happens to be that this assassin tried to kill Picard, and then 
data that just happens to be standing there when it when it goes wrong? Well, not only data. Mm-hmm. What's is that spot? I yeah, mean, that's what's spot. that is spot. Right. He's I, I forgot the name of the cat on Shelot or something like that. Well, oh, no, hold on. Vulcan? Not a Vulcan. Yeah, but the Vulcan shallots are more like a, a bear. That that's not a Vulcan shallot, is it? Oh, I don't know. I thought it was. I thought it was like a saber-toothed tiger. Um, I think it's more like a saber-toothed bear. Mm. And, and in fact, I did a little web search on that, and apparently, I I misspelled shallot a lot. <laughs> but I was I was finally able to uh, to find it, and there were all kinds of animated, uh, you know, scenes from the animated show. Yeah. Uh, and and other internet drawings or depictions and, of and that look like this. No, it looks more like a bear with big tusks coming out. Mm. Where that is definitely a mean-looking cat. That is a. That is a mean-looking cat. And when I first saw it, I was like, I did, I, you know, it didn't, it didn't strike me that it was Spot. But then I was like, well, is that supposed to be a member of the crew? There's no, there's no <laughs> uniform or anything. I mean, is that just another, another alien intelligent cat species? And it's like, oh, no, it's, that's probably Scott, Spot. So they yeah, showed I, Spot before. Um, I don't remember, but I just thought that, I just assumed it was Spot. Cause... Yeah, I, I came to the same conclusion. You know what? Now that you mention it, maybe it was. Maybe there is an episode, an issue where Spot's in it. Yeah, we might have had this exact same conversation. We probably did. <laughs> Again, to your point, you've made in the past. It's a good thing we're experts. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely, we know it all. Do you know who this guy is, Waylon? <laughs> well, I know he uh, di- didn't. Didn't he uh, create David? And um, was a big uh, rich guy in the alien universse? Or is that, oh. <laughs> is that different spelling? It's close. Yeah. If this, if it's yeah, not the same Newton, name. Yeah, I got gotcha. No, I, I never heard of him before. The fact that they would, pick, they would pick a, they keep on calling him a professional historian, is like, oh, okay. So, okay, professional historian. Why would you need that aboard? I mean... In the normal universe, Marla MacGyver's was the ship historian on Space Seed. So, okay, there's precedent to have a historian. But in this universe, where self-interest and pirating is the, is the name of the game, why would you bother having a historian on board? Right. But, so I thought it was a, an, odd, an odd selection. And then, of course, we get another comedic turn by Riker, who... They're all commenting on it's Wheeland, whatever. And then, then Riker says, only a professional historian could screw up this badly. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, my God, why funny. would he say that? That must be humor. <laughs> <laughs> and I found that funny. Yeah. So was he dead or was he just not dead? I couldn't tell. Uh, I, I don't think they said, but I assume he's... Uh, now, that you, now that you ask, I assume he's dead. But yeah, I originally wrote it as him being knocked out, and then I reread it a couple of times, and I'm like, no, I, he, they don't ever say he's knocked out. I, I think he's dead. It'd be interesting to confirm that he works for Admiral Lechev. Right. Picard's assuming that, and he's probably right. But and then what about Lieutenant Leland? I've never heard of him either. Oh, he, yeah, I don't know. He is he just 
Are we never going to see him again? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, so let's Is talk it about that. Or Lynch. Oh, Leland, right? Uh, oh, his name is Leland T. Lynch. Oh, okay. There you go. Yeah, he's both. Leland yeah. T. Lynch. He's got a long name. Now, now, yeah. why would he say his full name? Yeah, I don't know. Lieutenant Leland T. Lynch reporting in, sir. LaFord I mean, should have said, you're not a right. You're not a Kirk. You don't need to throw in the T. Just <laughs> Exactly. Okay, let's talk about all that. This is great. Okay, so Leland says, hey, I think I've, you know, she did something to uh, O'Brien. Right. And surprising to me, I'm surprised, um, Jordy throws him up against the wall and says, basically, don't say anything. Or else she'll be in the uh, agony booth. Agony booth, yeah. So he is seriously protecting Leah, and I'm going to assume he knew what she did. Although maybe he didn't, but he does now. But I'm going to guess he did. Maybe he's in love with her like he is in the other universe. That's the first thing I thought. And then what do we see? The next panels we see. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Okay, so we have three panels. One is showing Leah looking at a monitor of some kind. And by the way, looking at this monitor from the back, it looks like an old CRT or something. But whatever. It matches the old show. Maybe. Um, but she's looking at this, and she's watching this. She is monitoring this. She... Oh, oh maybe she isn't. I mean, are, are they just trying to bleed over what Jordy said from the previous panel? You let me worry about yeah, 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 Leah? That's just... Or is she no, actually that's, that's monitoring right. that's, this? That's Jordy talking to Leah. Okay, okay, so she doesn't know this. Okay, yeah. so... Fine, I agree with you. The next panel is you see what she is looking at. And she keeps on saying, uh, not yet, Leah, not yet. And then she's got a list of uh, command control is the title. And then beneath it, bullet points, Picard, Jean-Luc, Data, Barclay, Reginald, LaForge, Jordy, Brahms, Leah. So is this list trying to say that she is fifth in line of command of the ship? Well, and where's Riker? Exactly! So where's Riker? Oh, there's just so many things to ask. And why would Reginald be above the forge? I completely agree with that. I completely agree with that. And then, and then she keeps on saying, not yet. So is this her list of people to kill? I, I was wondering that too, but why would her name be? Oh, maybe it's the list of the people that need to be killed and she's surprised and her name's on it? She- yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, so, oh, so she... I took this as being her list, but you're saying maybe it's somebody else's list. Right. And she's finding it for the first time. Maybe, right. But she keeps on know. saying, not yet, Leah. Not yet. Right. Not yet. Like, she says it three times. Yeah, she says it three so times. So this seems like this is... She's getting ready to do something to at least somebody or maybe everybody on this list. I don't know. I mean, except for herself, of course. Yeah, so but if it is a list of things to do to people, why would her name be on it? Well, yeah, I agree. So maybe it is just the list of people in command order. Uh, but again, if that's the case completely, why is Riker not right beneath Jean-Luc? Right. And I, I would think Troy would be on there too, before her, before Leah Brahms. So, but whatever she is doing, 
is Jordy in on it? Or he is just that much in love with her that he is protecting her no matter what? Yeah, we definitely don't know at this point. So that's why I'm looking forward to yes. the next two episodes. Because the, the next issue is called Jordy. So I'm really hoping that that issue... Okay, so from a publishing explain. standpoint... Yeah. Jordy that came, came after this one. Yeah, and before Interesting. five. Interesting. Okay. So maybe, yeah, good. Okay, looking forward to it. Looking forward to next week. So what would you think of the, the fight between the Enterprise and the Klingon ship? Yeah, it was fine. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, it just kind of... It's just a typical space fight. Yeah, just two big ships, Pu- few shots. Pummeling each other. Yeah. What's interesting is what Cisco does. Yeah, so you had questions about that? Um, why? Okay, so he's obviously captain of that. Bajoran ship. That's a Bajoran ship, right? Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a little, so <clears throat> his little pirate ship that that. Uh, right, but but I I'm not sure, but I I think it's a Bajoran ship. Could be wrong. Yeah, um, maybe. And he is uh, his commander is Kira, so Kira's calling the shots. Well, he he's kind of Kira's lapdog from from okay. that episode. It seems like he's not necessarily her slave, but you know because the all the humans are slaves in that episode, uh, it's kind of implied that she just lets him. You know, she's like his little secret enforcer, pirate type thing that that hmm. stirs things up for her. Okay, but which which is exactly what he does <laughs> here. She tells him to attack the Klingons instead of the Federation to just so that Worf can't have too many wins. I exactly. thought that was pretty cool. Well, okay, so Kira is the regent, or whatever she is, of Bajor and the wormhole? They don't know about the wormhole in the mirror universe. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So, so she, is, she is in control of Bajor. Right. Which is somehow allied with the Klingon Cardassian Empire. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And the thing is, there's a constant balance of power going on within that alliance, apparently. So Kira is absolutely fine with uh, not going along with the bigger game plan and uh, messing with Klingons. Right. Okay. 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 Thanks. (laughs) I'm just trying to... I, I don't remember... It's been so long since I've seen those Deep Space Nine episodes. I'm trying to remember the group dynamic. That right. was established in all those episodes. Yeah. So yeah, I rewatched them back when um, we started the Mirror War stuff. So okay, they're a little fresh on my mind. I'm not gonna Good. say I remember everything, but yeah. uh, I do remember that part. Right. I'd like to point out a word bubble. Probably, probably a word bubble boo boo. Ooh, a word bubble boo boo. Yes. All right. So when they're in the holodeck. After the crash, Picard asks for an update on uh, on the uh, their plans for getting over uh, groupthink or being able to control groupthink. And so Picard is looking at Geordi in the previous panel, and uh, what about the rest of our plan? And then the next panel shows, and it looks like Geordi's speaking. His his hands are outstretched. I think Picard asked him, not Riker. But the word bubble that is explaining 
and saying, Barclay and I have been working with data on a plan to deal with the artificial intelligence, I think it's very obvious that Jordy is speaking, yet the word bubble is pointing at Riker. You know, the little, the little point of it. Right. It does look like it's Riker. Riker. But everything, everything else indicates that should be Jordy speaking. Yep, I agree. Okay. That is a, a word balloon boo-boo. Ergo, ergo my label for it. My last comment, um, I don't know if you have more, but uh, I really thought when Data kills that one alien that they had hostage, it's a pretty cool shot. I mean, that that poor alien is just atomized. And oh, see, like, the one the from Dory Guy? And stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that is cruel and cool. And then, yeah, then Barclay's just like, Good thing you did that. That means we just have one less uh, one less hostage to try to be a hero. I thought it was good. Right. That's bloodthirsty. Bloodthirsty. But I do I do like how he how how he did that. Okay, I have two last things. Alright. Number one, I kinda like it's pretty cool drawing of the Enterprise having executed its um, slingshot effect maneuver around the star of Barflex. Yeah, it looks cool. Right, and then they then they have some text. They they're saying they're decelerating now to avoid time travel. Right. Okay. I did like Wesley's comment. We want to get there fast, not yesterday. Well, and then I'm like, why wouldn't you want to exactly? Get there <laughs> exactly my point. If, but not yesterday. What if you went back a week or maybe two weeks before right. Worf even knows to be looking for you? Yeah, I thought that was a weird weird thing. That was like. I think that would solve pretty much all your problems. <laughs> it would get you to Fundori without them being aware you were even in the system. I mean, or Klingon space, I should say. Right. Uh, or even if they, I don't know. Yeah, that, just, that whole time travel opens up too many cans of worms. Because, you know, kind of like in Superman 1978. Uh, <laughs> if you screw up, you just spin the earth back and start over. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, if you lose a battle, just go back in time defeat the Borg before they get the Wolf 359. You know, it's just there like... Go. There you go. Why, why didn't they? Why not do that? Why didn't they? Yeah. Right. Okay, so I just, I just thought I'd point that out. And the next thing is, looking at the cover of issue 5, which is at the end, so they show, right. they show uh, all the covers for this issue, and they show, the, I guess, the main cover um, for, the, for the next issue. And who is prominently featured in the left half of the comic? Uh, comic cover? Shelby. Shelby? We're going to see Shelby? Okay, I'm kind of wondering, what's Shelby there for? What is her role going to be? Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and that, and that little ad says that it's next month, issue mm-hmm. number five. But yeah. as far as, like, public, um, as far as cover dates, yeah. Five has the date of April 2022, and Jordy has March of 2022. Hmm. And if I remember right, Jordy did come out first, so which makes okay. sense with cover date. So that's the order we're going to do them in. Sounds good. Sounds very good. I'm looking forward to both issues now. Yeah, I mean, I was always going. I was always looking forward to the issues, but I'm looking forward to the Jordy one particularly now because of the whole Brahms thing, and then now issue five. Even more so because of the Shelby thing. Right. And at the time of recording, we're getting pretty close to the final issues coming out. So Yeah. 
We'll be, we'll be done with this pretty soon. Excellent. Most and excellent. then we can do some more discovery and things like that that they're putting out now. Okay. Well, thanks for everybody for joining us on the review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.